The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. It could not be a more beautiful day here in Philadelphia. I'm just uh, thrilled that we're finally seeing spring. Um, we are going to have a really wonderful show today. I have two guests with me this afternoon, and our first is our very own in-house contributor, our financial contributor, Jocelyn Ewart. Jocelyn is the founding principal of Entrust Financial, and later on in the show, we will be joined by Kapil Gupta. And Kapil works uh, specifically with professional athletes, celebrities, and, and world-class executives. Uh, he, his work guides them through the process of something called Atmamun, and, which is um, a philosophy or a method, I'll say, that Kapil uses to help his clients become the god of their own lives. It's going to be very interesting. So in just a few minutes, we'll bring him on to the show. But first, we're going to start with Jocelyn. Welcome back to the show. Treat to be here. It was an easy commute in today, right? Not uh, battling any kind of exterior issues or weather. I'd say the only hard thing about the commute was actually not keeping on going to some wonderful vacation right. <laughs> spot in this beautiful weather. Passing right by the studio. Yeah, passing right by work. So just... Uh, Going out for a good time because it is gorgeous out there. It is. So I understand we're going to be talking about inheritance um, at the top of the show and some of the things that are important for uh, everyone to think about when they are faced with um, an inheritance coming their way. Yep. As you know, Susan, and I'm sure many of your listeners know, inheritances can come from parents, other family members, and from friends. And with today's longevity, many of us will inherit money at some point, and we do need to know what to do. When we realize we have inherited money, a lot of us think spontaneously, wow, I want to invest this money wisely. But just what does invest it wisely mean? And what if you never worked with a financial advisor before? Or suppose you inherit money from a parent and feel an allegiance a responsibility, perhaps, to invest as your mother or father did, even when what they chose may not be what you need to serve your style of living or that of your family. Like so many financial matters, what to do with your inheritance is complicated. So I would like to spend a few moments offering guidance on how to approach this important life and financial event. And to do so, I'm going to emphasize a couple of points. Number one, a good starting place when you're considering how to approach being a good steward of your inheritance is to ask yourself a question. And that question is, what do I want this money to do for me? Yes, the first step is to brainstorm your own answers to the question, what do I want this inheritance money to do for me? So before we continue to point two, Susan, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you. If you received an inheritance, what is something you would want that money to do for you? 
right off the bat, without hesitating, it would it would probably be education because I still have a, a son in college. So, you know, that's a very top priority for, you know, my husband and I is getting the kids through uh, college and, and doing so in the most, uh, in the smartest way, I'll say, financially. Well, boy, that is a great answer. And what a great investment in um, education is for all of us. I know for myself that if I were to receive an inheritance, which I don't expect to, I would direct a portion of it straight into the My Best Teacher Scholarship Fund that I'm endowing at Temple University. That is my first priority for what I would do if I received an unexpected windfall, interestingly, also an educational focus. I want to remind listeners that while they formulate responses to the question, what do I want this money, this inheritance to do for me, there are no right answers. The only answers are the answers that are right for you. Just as our answers were different, Susan, one woman with whom I work, Dana, I tell her story in my book, chose to direct the inheritance she received from her mother into her retirement portfolio. As a 50-year-old woman, Dana was a bit behind in saving for retirement. The money she received from her mother helped her get back on track. So far, so good. But as I mentioned a few moments ago, making the right decisions about an inheritance you receive can be complicated. While Dana was comfortable deciding what she wanted her inheritance to do for her, just as you were and I am, she was not at all comfortable when she was faced with point number two. And that point is that after you receive an inheritance, now you need to decide how to invest the money based on your style of living. A footnote to this second step, invest your inheritance money based on your style of living, is that you're very likely to be disappointed in your results if your investment choices are predicated upon what you believe the person who gave you the money would have done rather than basing your decisions upon your own situation. Again, Dana's story offers a perfect example. After she and I met, Dana identified what she wanted the inheritance from her mother to do, supplement her retirement portfolio. Then we began considering investment options designed to prepare Dana not only for retirement, but to pay her an income for at least 20 years into retirement. At this point, something surprising occurred. Dana more or less froze. While she could follow the specifics of how a diversified investment allocation could serve her retirement goals, Even if she's blessed with good longevity, she was almost paralyzed from taking action because she kept hearing her mother's strong and limiting money messages swirl through her mind. As she reported to me, her mother's limiting philosophy about money, which she, her mother stated very often was, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. To Dana's mother, that meant park your money in a fixed savings account in a bank and avoid all risk. So while Dana's goal was to be a good steward of her inheritance and direct it toward her retirement portfolio needs, she was faced with overcoming her mother's limiting messages before she could proceed and make appropriate choices. The moral of this story is if you find yourself having difficulty making decisions in your own best interest, you may inadvertently be trying to please or adhere to the 
philosophy of somebody else. My suggestion is give yourself permission to let go of the past and confidently seek the advice you need. A certified financial planner professional would likely be helpful here. So you can make your own investment choices with conviction. I feel certain, Susan, that your listeners want to be good stewards of the inheritance money that they receive. So to summarize, being a good steward requires attention to two important steps. First, determining what your money you want your money to do for you, and second, making investment choices based upon your own style of living. It's great advice. Great advice. And and my guess is at some point we'll have to talk about the other part of the puzzle, which is other family members who are, are also going to be on the receiving end of an you know an, an inheritance and all of those emotional right and what is what is good to give to whom that's right that's right it's a big big discussion okay that's great jocelyn we're so happy to have you again this month and look forward to having you again next month good to be here enjoy the rest of your day uh we are now going to bring onto the show our very special guest this afternoon someone I'm, i'm very delighted to have and again his name is kapil gupta kapil is uh he's the owner of siddha performance He is also the author of a very soon-to-be-released book, and he works with clients, as I mentioned at the top of the show. He works specifically with professional athletes, um, some celebrities, and world-class executives. Kapil, welcome to the show. Thank you, Susan. Great to be here. Wonderful to have you. Um, I want to uh, quickly, before we get started, give out the phone number in case any of our listeners would like to call in and speak to you directly. And you can do so by dialing 888-329-3306. That's 888-329-3306. Kapil, I'd love to to jump right into um, talking a little bit about your life growing up and give our listeners a, a sense of who you were as a young boy and and what your aspirations were uh, that perhaps led you to the work that you're doing today? I suppose everything can be traced into one's childhood, uh, no matter what sort of discipline one follows. Uh, There are always seeds of that uh, if one looks retrospectively. And I say that, you know, I was born in India, and as I grew up, um, as a child I was very contemplative. I was um, very much a loner, an only child, spent a lot of time alone and thinking about sort of life issues, did a lot of writing, did poetry, and became especially enthralled by uh, Indian spirituality, not so much religion, but sort of the the mystical aspects of the um, the ancient lore of the Himalayas. And the ascetics and the saints and the swamis who lived in caves and had miraculous powers and had um, had garnered the ability to control control their own heart rates and to see beyond the mind and to live a life of complete equanimity. Those things were very much a part of my DNA growing up, and that really was something that I don't know where it came from but it's always been with me, and I've applied it to everything in my life. That's interesting to me. Sometimes there's a, you know, a life event or an experience that launches people into more of a, um, you know, searching for meaning type of a life, and yet you were, you were born with this curiosity. 
Um, I, I was wondering what you, you spent over, I guess, over 30 years now studying ex and exploring the human mind. Can you tell me what precipitated your decision to divulge the results of your findings to the masses? That's a good question. You know, I most things that you do that you have a penchant for, you do without, without ever considering that you could make a career out of it because it comes so naturally to you. And I suppose I was doing this all along with myself and, and those around me and people who I met. And um, it was once I discovered that such a thing didn't exist in the popular framework of professional sports and I guess coaching, although I don't like the word coaching, um, and in dealing with, you know, executives and executives have this sort of, you know, executive leadership programs and and coaching and seminars and, and these sort of things. And I sort of looked into these things in sports psychology. I sort of examined these things for what they were. And I found that they, in my opinion, they were not getting to the heart of any issue. They were simply talking around issues. They weren't getting to the nucleus of the cell. They were just sort of hovering around the cytoplasm, so to speak. And what I had grown up doing was just instinctively out of absolute uh, dogged curiosity was wanting to know the truth about life and the truth about what the mind really is. And I felt that there was a, a gaping hole here, a chasm, that needed to be filled in order to affect people's lives, which really wasn't uh, being addressed. And that was the issue of how the mind affects our daily life, how the mind affects our performances and whatever we do, whether it's sports or business or everyday life. And that's when I found that this actually could be something that could be beneficial uh, to quite a lot of people. Now, I, I know why, you're not, uh, why you don't like the word coach, but can you, can you talk about why you're not um, comfortable with that word? You know, I'm not comfortable with a lot of colloquial words because, you know, language is a very poor tool of communication. And what I mean by that is that words are like usernames, and most of them are already taken. And, and when you say a certain word, when I speak to you, you aren't really responding to my words. You're responding to the images that my words produce in your mind. And so when I say a certain word like coach or, or, or happiness or mind, uh, you are responding to your pictorial representation of what that word means to you. And therefore, I have to use a lot of other words in order to sort of keep things fresh and not allow you to go in a wormhole to that image of yours, which is preformed through, through culture and through conditioning. And all of us are that way. So when, I, when you hear the word coach, it, the, the implications and the images are that one is showing you how to do things. One is teaching you technique. One, in, one is guiding you by the hand and showing you where to go and where not to go. And that, to me, is not coaching at all. That's dependency. So I don't believe in coaching. Um, I believe much more in a very loose hand 
which gently every now and again comes into play so as not to take the person to a predefined destination, but to help the person find his or her own self. Now, at the heart of, of your work, Kapil, is uh, what you describe as mind transcendence. And, you know, you and I yes. spoke before this show, and, and you know I, I could speak to you all day and probably just ask questions, um, which further, sure. um, you know, I'm just so fascinated by this topic and the work that you do. Can you define, how would you define mind transcendence? All of the sort of prescriptions that exist uh, in all disciplines um, are all based upon are all based upon changing the mind in a certain way. So if the mind is making you unhappy, then the prescriptions and the bumper sticker slogans are aimed at making you happy. If the mind is making your performance go sour, then the prescriptions are aimed at helping your performance go better. So everything is done from the standpoint of the mind. But that isn't authenticity, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. If someone's mind is making them unhappy, and if someone's mind is uh, negatively affecting their performance, then for you to use the mind to enhance their performance or make them happy is still keeping you squarely inside the mind. As a result, you cannot work on the mind from inside the mind. You can only work on the mind from outside the mind. And so in order to be outside the mind, you must first transcend the mind, and then you can make the mind work for you, as opposed to the way it is for all of us, which is that we live as absolute slaves to our mind. And that mind being all of the, you know, all of the kind of the distractions and the life experiences and the information and, and, and all of it. Um, would you say, it, it reminds me of, of something I was thinking about the other day that um, you use the word mind, you don't use the word brain when you're talking about yeah. studying. And is that yeah. because the brain is, is the organ, the mind is, is, is the thoughts and, and information? Yes. Mind is far more subtle and far more powerful than brain. Brain is a biological, organismal uh, viscera. It's, a, it's, a, it's simply a, a visceral organ. The mind is something that is far more subtle. The mind is what whispers to you to tell you who you really are. The mind is what whispers to you and tells you that you are good or you're not any good. The mind is what allows you to uh, leap into emotional turmoil and live a roller coaster existence. The mind is what tells you all these half truths and then sends your life on a trajectory finding and looking for things which aren't really there. So the mind is actually what keeps you separated from reality. That's the mind and that is far more fundamental and far more um, influential to our daily existence than is the brain. So when we when we decide that we're going to, um, you know, if if we're someone who is a seeker, as you describe, a true seeker, and someone who's searching for 
enlightenment and, and fulfillment and meaning in life. Can we continue to search for enlightenment? Can we be that kind of person but or alongside working to achieve within a society that we live? In other words, we, we can't choose to not um, participate right in, in life, in our community, and with the people that are around us. So can we side by side be working to achieve within this society but at the same time be looking to find that place of enlightenment or meaning. Does that make sense? No, you ask a wonderful question. Okay. And this is sort of everything that we know of is backwards. Actually, the things that you mentioned about achievement and and productivity and getting to know others in the community and having relationships, I would argue that all of those things are not being done at anywhere near the highest level precisely because we live through the mind. So it isn't an and-or phenomenon. It isn't an either-or phenomenon. Actually, your relationships, your performance, your productivity, your successes, all of these things would be heightened beyond measure if it weren't for the fact that we lived through the mind. So it isn't that we have living our life on the one hand and then working on this mind and our own personal journey on the other hand. It is actually that we aren't living a life at all. None of us lives life. We live a reactive, robotic, spinal cord in, uh, existence. All of us. We do not do things consciously. We do them completely in a reactive way. Mm-hmm. And that is because we are, we are not conscious of what we are doing. In my new book, I have a chapter called, You Are Fast Asleep. And the you applies to all of us. We are all fast asleep. We, live, we are all sleepwalkers. We are not awake. And it is only once we are awake that we are actually able to have a true relationship. Mm. I, I want to talk more about that. Kapil, we're going to take a, a quick break, and when we come back, I, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, that last statement. We'll be right back. conditions. When Jamie Levin, owner of Wig Elegance, Wigadoo, and Rosalind Stella's Wig Boutique, lost her own mother to cancer in 2009, She and her husband, Rob, decided to take over the full-service family-owned wig salons to honor her mother's memory. What their company offers is the personal and private experience that men, women, and children deserve at such a difficult time. To learn more about their unique services and warm and compassionate staff at all three salons, such as a free consultation with expertise, full education, private booths, and clean set and cutting services, go to wigelegancewigs.com or call 215-945-4900 that's wigelegancewigs.com 215-945-4900 that phone number again is 215-945-4900 and ask for your special offer as a listener to the show on selected items such as $50 off a synthetic wig or $100 off a human hair wig that's wigelegancewigs.com 
Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch. I have as my very special guest this afternoon, Kapil Gupta, and we are talking about what it what it truly means, I guess I'll say, to to live a life awake. Uh, I think that's a that's a great way to describe it. You know, uh, most people want to be living their life in a way that feels they're getting. Um, the most out of it in all areas. And I I would be remiss, Kapil, if I didn't ask you uh, about your own life and whether you feel from all of the the work that you've done and and the studying, if you're living um, your life fully awake. And if not, what areas are you continuing to work on? It was only once I realized that I was fast asleep that the opportunity for becoming awake arose. And I realized that because I looked at myself in certain occasions in third person, and I found that in this situation, in that situation, in this circumstance, and this part of my life, I found that I was not at my best. I was not inspirational to those who I needed to be inspirational to, or I had not achieved what I wanted to achieve at that point in my life. And, and all of these things were, were clear markers to me that I wasn't awake. So then began the journey of awakening. And what awakening means is to see things as if the things that you see, you were seeing them for the first time. Susan, we never see anything. And whenever we speak to somebody, we never really speak to them. We don't see things and we don't see people. We only see the summary of them. Everyone we have a Cliff Notes version for. And we and we live our lives in a way in a having a prepackaged idea of what all things are. Even, even the people that we live with for 20 and 30 years, and we never really see them. We see only their habits. We see only their personalities. We never see them. And this is how you can live in a household full of 15 people and live a life of complete loneliness. This is where conflicts arise. Conflicts arise not because one person is right and the other person is wrong. Conflicts arise because there never are any true relationships. There are only relationships between mind and mind. It's, it's very much like the movie, uh, it was a good, great metaphor, Real Steel, where they go and they send robots into the boxing ring and they control the robots through their, their remote controls. It's very much the same thing here. We never enter any ring ourselves. We simply send our personality out there, and the other person does as well. And the two personalities have a fake conversation, while we remain in the background, never getting involved. So how, this is a big loaded question, but how can we begin to be more awake in these moments with others? Um, the how is the how is absolutely easy. The how is always easy, but it is always the distant second step. 
everyone loves to jump to the how. And the reason that everyone loves to jump to the how is because it seems to be the most natural, logical step, but it is not. If I told you there was a snake under your chair, you wouldn't ask me how. <laughs> the very information, the very insight that a snake was under your chair would lead you to react in a certain intelligent way. Either you would run, either you would sit very still, you would do whatever you felt was the most appropriate thing in that situation. And the reason that you would know the how would be because you had the insight. But if I told you where to run, how fast to run, how to sit, how, how still to sit, you get bitten. So it, it, it isn't about the how. The how is later. Right, right now, it is all about understanding not so much the message, but understanding and looking at yourself and saying, you know, just it isn't about what I say. It's look at yourself in a completely authentic, non-judgmental way and say, is my life exactly the way I want it to be? And it's a dangerous question to ask because we are told that you can't have everything. Well, I disagree. If you can't have everything, then why are you living? I think that word everything sometimes gets um, is is misunderstood. I don't think that we need everything in order to you know to find our bliss. That that word is a, is a word that you use. Um, it's it's about having exactly what we need. Everything is an absolute necessity if you want to live your life. Everything does not mean material. Everything does not mean money. By everything, I mean complete freedom, complete peace, complete equanimity. That is everything. Because with those things, you can achieve, you will have the world at your feet. Your relationships, your successes, your degree of clarity will be so profound that there will be no longer anything to search for. You will have attained it all. And that isn't something that is on the lips of most people because they aren't really exposed to these sort of ideas. They are exposed to teaching. They are exposed to tips and tricks. They are exposed to ridiculous list posts, which tell you the 10 best ways to become happy, which are complete drivel. They don't change anyone. True transformation become, begins with looking at your own life and seeing and asking yourself, is it exactly where I want to be or not? And if it is not, why not? So, Kapil, tell me how you define a, a true seeker and how do you know when you have met one? Uh, because By the, the questions they ask. Okay. The questions that you, it isn't about answers. Answers are way overrated. It's all about questions because questions create your path and answers remove you from it. The nature of the questions that someone asks me whenever I'm in consultation or talking to anyone, the nature of the questions they ask tells me 
how truly authentic is their search. And this is not a judgment call. This is not for me to say, well, you're authentic and, and you're not. I'm not judging anybody. I'm simply saying that there are those who, who are heartfelt, deeply seated in the search for really wanting to know. And then there are those for whom, whom it is a passing curiosity. Mm-hmm. And passing curiosity doesn't lead anywhere. But a, a true search for wanting to know the truth in anything, it, it, it literally changes your life. Mm. Um, something that you've said, and, and I would imagine this is um, related to the work that you do with um, athletes and, and executives, um, you know, the word skill. We, we have skills in certain areas that allow us to do things. Um, and you've stated that the manner in which humans acquire and access skill is not through what we've been told all these years. What do you believe is the uh, the manner for which to acquire an excess skill? Those are two two separate things. There is skill acquisition and skill access. So if we use, for instance, the example of a professional athlete, the professional athlete, while he definitely has some skills that remain to be acquired, I mean, no one is perfect, um, that isn't his problem. His problem is, that if he has built a storehouse of skill at, let's say, 90%, he is only able to access 40%. That's the issue. So he may have $2 million in the bank, but if he can only withdraw 300000 then the solution isn't to make more money. The solution is to find out why it is that he can only access 300000 And that is never addressed. It is all about that performance wasn't very good, so therefore you must go work on X, Y, and Z. It's the same way in business. You didn't do well there, so you need to go work on X, Y, and Z. Well, the X, Y, and Z isn't skill acquisition. The X, Y, Z at, at the highest level is always skill access. Now, what is it that is preventing the skill from being accessed? Well, first of all, it is the belief that it is the skill acquisition that needs to be done. That's preventing it. Because as long as you believe that you need to acquire more skill, then you won't spend your time on, on accessing it. But if you understand that I need to find a way to access the skill that I've spent years amassing, then you will move in a different direction. And then you'll begin to ask very different questions. It won't be, how can I improve my skill? It will be, what is it that prevented me from having that skill in my back pocket whenever I needed it? And that is a fundamentally different question. Okay, so I I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, the fact that, that you're a father and you have two boys, you have two sons, and I'm wondering Again, in, in, in the work that you do with adults, do you believe in looking at your own two boys that they are able to achieve this, this level of truth or freedom at a young age, and, and are you seeing it in your sons? Uh, you, that's a wonderful question. Susan, ch- 
children are free, adults are not. The last person who needs to teach a child is an adult. Adults need to learn from children, not teach them. We are mesmerized by the idea of knowledge. But knowledge doesn't really give you bliss. Knowledge just fills your head with information. Children already have freedom. So who is it that needs to teach who? Does the child need to learn from the adult all of this information? Or does the adult learn from the child all of this freedom? Mm. I, children teach us something every day, for sure. They're a lot more wise than we are. Um, yeah, and it's only once we recognize that in our hearts because it can be very, very difficult to do because we we step into this role as a so-called parent. And a parent is a role that human beings weren't really meant for. And, and what I mean by that is the ultimate parent is the one who feels no need to parent at all. The ultimate parent is the one who has become so complete in himself that his very presence and the child's very association with him inspires him to come on the right path. Kind of, you know, uh, living by example, just living the life and, yeah, and showing the oh, child. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, it isn't even showing the child. It's just, it's just, it is just the, it is just the fragrance that you exude. So what I was saying was that once an adult achieves a certain level of wisdom through sincere self-examination, then he feels that there's less and less to teach, and the child actually learns more just by their association with him. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I, I can absolutely see that, and that's a, a sense of the child kind of just feeling and knowing that they're in the presence of... Um, you know, they're in a place that, they're, that they feel comfortable, that their parents are living yes. examples and, and, you know, yes. just showing by the way that they're living. Uh, you know, one of the questions I had for you had to do with, you know, we spoke earlier in the show about being reactive. As humans, we are, we react to things as opposed to, to um, I guess, I'm not even sure how to describe it. If we're trying to not be reactive and we're trying to be in a place where we instinctively know um, what to do, how is it that we can live that way when there is so much evil around us? Um, you know, they're the really, the evil is within us, not around us. Um, the, the, the fact that we live reactive isn't because we choose to live reactive. The fact that we live reactive is a side effect of our lack of wisdom. So it isn't, it isn't how do I affect the branch and the tree. It's about how can I dive deep into the root to see what the issue is. And how someone reacts to a situation is much more a function and a manifestation of where he is in his own life than it is about what the right thing to do and what the right thing to say is. You see, all conflict, there, there is no conflict between two human beings, ever. I know it looks that way, 
but there really isn't. All conflict is self-conflict. And the, the evidence for that is that if we were completely whole within ourselves, then nothing would bother us. And if nothing bothered us, then we wouldn't enter into a conflict. It would serve no purpose for us. So it never has to do with how to behave and, and, and how to modify what you say and how to act. And those are all cosmetic things, Susan. They're not, they're not real. Affecting human beings is really about why is it that you behaved and you reacted that way? What was it about the situation that produced that reaction? That's the question. If you truly want to transform. And and when you when you say that when you want to transform that is um, people wanting to find a place of what 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 word would you use? Um, because I know that you know there's no answer, but what is it that at the end of the day what is it that we're talking about? People that that are searching because they're not feeling as though they're living fully awake. What is it that they're looking for? They're looking to live a life, I guess, it, it would be free. That's yes, freedom and you, you talk might, about. You might have a different, yes. And I use the word freedom. You can also say bliss. You can also say peace. Whatever your word is, mm-hmm. it's all the same. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, so, but the words are just, the words differ. But, but basically, a better way which I can describe it is the way that you're feeling the way that all of us feel isn't the way that we want to feel. We want to feel the opposite of that. So whatever that opposite is, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, Kapil, we have to take one more break. And when we come back, I want to talk about you and your life and, and uh, where you are and, and what you're still searching for. We'll be right back. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography, an automated breast ultrasound that helps find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Where does one turn when faced with the devastating loss of hair from cancer or other medical conditions? When Jamie Levin, owner of Wig Elegance, Wigadoo, and Rosalind Stella's Wig Boutique, lost her own mother to cancer in 2009, she and her husband Rob decided to take over the full-service family-owned wig salons to honor her mother's memory. 
What their company offers is the personal and private experience that men, women, and children deserve at such a difficult time. To learn more about their unique services and warm and compassionate staff at all three salons, such as a free consultation with expertise, full education, private booths, and clean set and cutting services, go to wigelegancewigs.com or call 215-945-4900. That's wigelegancewigs.com, 215-945-4900. That phone number again is 215-945-4900. And ask for your special offer as a listener to the show on selected items such as $50 off a synthetic wig or $100 off a human hair wig. That's wigelegancewigs.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm joined this afternoon by Kapil Gupta, and we're talking about wonderful topics related to uh, finding the freedom that, that we all want in our lives. And I'm curious, Kapil, to know if you are living your life right now uh, with complete freedom, and if you're not, what are the things that kind of get you off track? I am on a, I'm on a path to what I call Atmaman. And that is the path of, of no mind. The path that I'm on and the thing that I really want to attain in my life more so than anything else is to completely melt into a single moment. To live a life of complete freedom such that from the beginning of one day until the end of one day, there is no conflict. There's, there's no absence of peace. There is a complete blending in and losing myself in whatever thing I'm involved in, as opposed to being me on one hand and the thing on the other. And why is that? It isn't because I should. It isn't because the scriptures say to do so if they do. I don't care about any of that. I only care about what everyone else cares about. And that is how it makes me feel. And when I feel completely lost in a single moment, or I, I feel when I'm completely lost in any activity that I'm doing, I am blissful. I feel free. And I feel completely at peace. And there is no other way in which I want to live my life. And I believe fully that every moment from now until the end of my life needs to be lived in that way. Does that mean that I do? No. I will fall off. And once you're on this path, what you discover is that you absolutely fall off. But your recovery time gets much quicker. And so in catching yourself falling off, you sort of get right back into it. And the more that you do it out of your sincerity, transformation happens actually quite quickly. But it only happens when one is doing it because they really, in their heart, value nothing more than this. Do you know people, have you met people that, that are living this, this kind of life? No, never. I have only heard of them, and the ones that I've heard of were my sources of inspiration 
growing up. The Buddha, Jesus, the ancient Himalayan saints, those people are, in my mind, not fantasies. And in my mind, their teachings are of no use to me. I have no interest in reading what Buddha wrote. I am interested in having what Buddha attained and nothing less. And when you can you tell me some a, a story I'll say of of a client that you've worked with that has had this transformation and how their life has changed? It it I'll be honest, the you will see patterns of similarity regardless of the individual because we all go through the same things. All of our lives are the same life. Just the details differ. And so what typically happens is the person will either have had nightmares or they have a constant feeling of pressure through every day or their work is making them feel inadequate, that they, all, that they must constantly reach a higher and higher height. And when you, when you mention that, the natural reaction is to say, well, isn't that good? Well, it isn't about good or bad. It is that the fact that everyone wants to reach a higher height or the clients uh, that, that, that speak to me want to go to the next level in anything or they're having nightmares or they're feeling pressures or they're feeling a complete lack of freedom, it is that their remedy for the lack of freedom is through achievement. And the reason they believed up until now that that worked is because whenever they achieved something or gained something, that gave them a dose of good feeling. Mm. And so their strategy then is, if I do X and Y, I gain a, a dose of good feeling. I gain one drop. So let me do that 7,000 times so that I can string together 7,000 drops and feel a bolus of good feeling. It doesn't work. That strategy doesn't work because after every drop of good feeling, you have a torment of misery. And then two months later, one more drop comes. So it doesn't get you anywhere. So what we work through is getting them to understand that they have been chasing drops when they could have had the entire ocean. Why string together drops when you can have it all? So then we go for a more direct path at bliss and freedom and equanimity and overarching success. And I don't believe that success and spirituality are in any ways exclusive. I, I fundamentally discount the idea that you need to give away your money to the poor and you need to live in a cave and you need to live in, in destitute poverty. I, 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 I reject that. Earn all the money you can. Become multi-billionaire. Own the world if you like. That will never harm you. But if you are attached to it, it'll kill you. Mm. That's that's a great statement. Um, because I think that we know people who have achieved great success financially and, and in the material world. And if I, I just think that's such a great way that you said that if you're not attached to it, it's different. 
Um, if you are, yeah. then it then it has control over you. Then it'll own you. You own nothing. It'll own you. And it's the same thing with the mind. You know, everyone always says, well, the mind is a good thing, isn't it? I've always been told that the mind is a good thing. Well, the mind can be an absolute wonderful ally and a powerful tool. Once you own it. But as long as it owns you, you'll be a slave. Kapil, here's a question for you. I was sitting down with my husband over the weekend and, and anticipating this show and this conversation with you, and, and I said, do you have a question for him? And okay. he asked, do you believe that women have a spiritual advantage because we give birth? In other mm, words... I thought that was a great question. In other words, because we we give birth, it's something that men will never do. Do we have this kind of a spiritual advantage? In other words, a, a more of an ability to get closer to that state of bliss and freedom because of that experience. I don't know that I have the knowledge to attribute causality to um, giving birth and and achieving bliss in women. Um, I don't know. But I will say that women are closer to themselves than men are. And why is women why, do you why is that? Yeah. Um, I, I don't I don't I don't know why that is. But women are stronger than men as well. And and I will also say that it's unfortunate, and I think this is a societal pressure, that although women are actually closer to themselves, they do a, work much harder at getting further away from themselves than men do. I'm not, and can you explain that? I'm not sure I understand. So, in other words... They, they create... Women like to create... Women like to create more of an outward personality. You know, one obvious symbolic example would be, you know, makeup and, 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 and personality and uh, projecting image when their power actually lies in understanding fundamentally who they are, mm. not trying to create an image out of themselves. Mm -hmm. Whereas men, you could even say that you could in some sense forgive men for not getting close to themselves because they aren't so close to begin with. But it's actually a little bit harder to forgive women because they, in my opinion, do have an advantage of being much more intuitive with their own fundamental nature and yet they live in a society which sort of encourages them to create a massive, grand stage personality. That's right. Which moves further and further from who they fundamentally are. Yes. My last question, and, and then we're going to be out of time, Kapil. Tell me what you think the difference between these two words are, spirit and soul. I have no idea what a soul is. Um, and the spirit 
I feel is that thing that we feel when we are very charged about something. That thing that we feel when we forget completely about ourselves and what what remains is our true self, which perhaps is spirit. Mm. Kapil, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon, and, and I'm really looking forward to your book coming out, and we'll be sure to give the listeners all the information on that. Absolutely. They can go to the website, and the information is there as well. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Talk to you next week. Thank you.